Hello, and welcome back to Sharpest Knives Podcast. I'm Maris Antolin, and this is episode four of Sharpest Knives, and it features my conversation with dance artist and editor of the Dance and Performance Review website, Seattle Dances, Caitlin McCarthy. Quick plug, Seattle Dances has a new and improved citywide performance calendar. It's interactive, it's very, very detailed, so if you're looking for a show to see or are just curious about things going on around town, um, be sure to check out Seattle Dances calendar at seattledances.com slash calendar. Along with her work for Seattle Dances, Caitlin is a teaching artist at Velocity Dance Center and has choreographed works for Velocity, On the Boards, Boost Dance Festival, Evoke Productions, Washington Ensemble Theater, and others. She is also a regular collaborator with performance artist Alice Ghosty, who uh, is a is a future guest of Sharpest Knives, we recorded our interview a few months ago, and it'll be released very soon as well. Caitlin has also written articles as a freelance writer for City Arts Magazine, which was a Seattle-based arts and culture magazine that unfortunately is no longer active, but you can still find their archives online. So, without further ado, please listen to me and Caitlin talk about the importance of talking about art, distinguishing between work you're good at and work you actually like doing, and the joy of feeling uncomfortable. All right, welcome to Sharpest Knives. My name is Maris Antolin, and I'm here today with Caitlin McCarthy. Caitlin is a dance artist operating in Seattle, Washington since 2010. She grew up dancing in Ann Arbor, Michigan and continued dancing on the East Coast where she graduated summa cum laude from Mount Holyoke College. In Seattle, she has danced with over a dozen local artists and has choreographed work for Velocity Dance Center, On the Boards, Evoke Productions, Boost Dance Festival, Soil Gallery, Washington Ensemble Theater, and others. Her dance work blends surreal imagery, elements of theater, and athletic dancing to construct abstract narratives and perform human relationships. Weaving kinesthetic empathy and cultural mythology, her art often addresses an underlying forbiddenness finding its way to the surface. Improvisation and experimentation are driving forces in her work guided by intuition, intellectualism, and a Midwestern work ethic. Caitlin is a member of the Seattle Contact Improvisation Lab, a teaching artist at Velocity Dance Center, and is the editor for Seattle Dances. As a freelance writer, she has published over 100 articles for City Arts Magazine, Dance International Magazine, and Seattle Dances. She regularly dances with Alice Gosti and collaborates with Jenny Peterson, among others. Caitlin, welcome to my show. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So... You do a lot of things. You wear like a lot of hats. Um, a lot of dance hats. A lot of dance-related hats, yeah. <laughs> like a top hat and then like a sequined jazz That sounds hat. cooler than my actual <laughs> hats. <laughs> <Than> actual hats. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with all the different things, where, where do you see the connections between what you do or like the guiding principles you use between all those things? Yes, I think it took me a long time to whittle my career down to things that were just related to dance. Mm -hmm. And so 
that's sort of the first qualifier. Um, uh, and then I think the second thing is that you, I, at least most of the artists I know are doing a lot of jobs and, and part of that process is figuring out what's sustainable for you mm-hmm. um, and the kind of work that you actually want to be doing um, versus might what you might just be good at. Um, so I think the thing that I keep coming back to, the work that continues to interest me, are things that have to do with uh, the critical mind um, or the critical mindset. Uh, I guess as a dance critic, mm-hmm. maybe I'm just like leaning into that, <laughs> that identity. But I really think about it as something that permeates uh, all of my jobs mm-hmm. um, and manifests in some way um, this thing that I think is maybe one of the the skills that I can bring is looking at something and being able to see where its weaknesses are, what its problems are, and then um, offering potential solutions for those issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a dance review, that's really clear cut how that happens. As a teacher, it's about um, identifying, I work with beginners mostly, mm-hmm. identifying um, what would be most helpful for them in the moment and then and then trying to communicate that in some way that they can integrate into their body as a um as an editor it's about uh looking at a piece of writing that uh, Mm -hmm. someone has submitted to me and then helping them find ways to make that writing the best it can be to communicate the thing that they want to say um in dance making it's always asking myself um, what the piece needs, where the problems are in fixing. So I feel like I'm always fixing motivated, even if like the first 10,000 solutions don't work. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where my motivation comes from. And working with Alice Ghosty, um, she is very one of a kind in that, um, if I feel like something's not working or I have an idea, mm-hmm. I can just say, oh, what if we did this? Or I don't know about this thing. It feels weird for this reason. And um, most choreographers don't want to be questioned all the time, it turns out. Um, <laughs> but she actually, um, I think, uh, likes maybe. <laughs> yeah. Or, or values that I can bring that skill. Yeah, values um, a more collaborative process. Right, yeah. exactly. Um, with that, who edits you? Like, who do you send your articles to edit or who do you have take a look at your dance works? Um, well, up until recently before City Arts closed, uh, Mm -hmm. I was working, um, at City Arts with an editor, um, Gemma and, and sometimes with Leah as well, who's the, who was the editor in chief. Mm -hmm. And, um, the editor writer relationship is so phenomenal. Like I, you learn so much from someone else reading what you've written and then being like, this is what I'm receiving from this information. And so often it's different than the intention you put behind it. And I think that's true for dance. I wish we had dance editors. (laughs) Um, uh, and being able to work under them for two years, um, I learned an incredible amount and yeah. I hope to try to pass that on. And now through Seattle dances, um, usually Megan Stevenson, she's the, um, administrative director for Seattle dances. She'll look over my work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, we're really on the same page about what, 
we value in Seattle dances. And so I really trust her instincts. Um, and then we also have a couple other writers who are great copy editors, um, that I can pass stuff by if I need to. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice that you have, it isn't just, you are above everyone editing. You have people who are writers and copy editors within Seattle dances. It's not like, um, yeah. I mean, realistically, sometimes things just get put up because right. of deadlines. Right. Um, but yeah, actually, it's like really funny that I'm an editor because I'm like a notoriously bad speller. Oh. <laughs> I'm not a super like detail person. I'm more of a big picture person. Mm-hmm. So I'll miss a lot of little stuff. That's um, pretty funny. But I'm working on it, you <laughs> <Yeah>. know? <laughs> so. Um, yeah, but I think good. Uh, from an editing perspective, like I'm good at content. I'm mm-hmm. good at saying, um, where is this po- piece incohesive? Where is it losing its argument? Um, okay, you had this statement, you saw this thing, and then you made this statement. But how did you get from the material on stage to the opinion that you sure. got? And I think yeah. that's really the tricky part about dance writing is taking something that's really ephemeral and then like trying to distill what's important about that into a concrete language that someone else can understand. Totally. And po- potentially someone who isn't familiar with dance works or isn't familiar with like going to a theater so totally yeah I have to recreate an experience yeah I mean I think you never recreate it um it's more of a I think I'm often telling people that are writing for me my writers that um the readers on a need-to-know basis so like what do they need to know about the piece Mm -hmm. so that the opinion you're going to tell them um, makes sense. Sure. Um, and so like a lot of times it's like, okay, you could describe the costumes and the lighting and the music choice, but if those things aren't relevant to what's really important about the piece or what you've chosen to write about, um, it ends up getting really muddled, um, and hard to read. Um, and so it is a lot about like how little information can I give or what's Mm -hmm. the most important, essential, critical information to give. Sure. Yeah. And it seems like at Seattle Dances, most of the writers are dancers and dance artists themselves. How do you um, combat, like, a shared, like, do you make an effort to break down, like, a shared language that dancers might have for a larger audience? I think Seattle Dances is a niche publication. Mm-hmm. Mostly people who know about dance read it. Yeah. Um but I find this to be less of an issue than we think. I think there are some in-industry words that aren't used other places. Um, but the a number of times you need to talk about, like, oh, this person's epaumant was excellent. Like, right. it's almost never relevant. Yeah. Like, the, the stuff that you write about is the stuff that – gets away from the, like, tiny specifics of the dance thing. And I also, because we are a niche publication, I do want to allow there to be room for articles that are not general interest and articles that are written for people who are in the know. Right. Um, Because I think, like, Seattle Times, right, is writing for a really general audience. And, like, Mm -hmm. frankly, I've never read anything out of that publication about dance that wasn't a total fluff piece, right? Totally. Because they're appealing to people who don't know anything. And so I think if we're thinking about analysis, if we're thinking about, like, saying things that are important about dance, we have to allow for a little bit of specialization. 
Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> that is funny. The epaulement example is a good one. You're like not like writing down the choreography bit by bit, yeah. which is what you're talking about with like what details are important to understand the larger whole. I think that's maybe one of the biggest steps into like there's a lot of good writers who don't understand the um, format of the review. And that's been a many, many year process of me of refining my taste about like, okay, what makes an effective review? Mm -hmm. Um, And getting into the play-by-play is like the easiest trap where you're like, this happened and this happened and this happened. But you want to make a compelling piece of writing um, and not just like a book report on the dance you saw. So, um, (laughs) so that's like one of the easiest pitfalls um, that we have to train ourselves out of. Yeah, Mm -hmm. totally. (laughs) Um, So how did you initially become interested in writing about dance? Why was that something that appealed to you? Um, Well, because I had a lot of opinions. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think uh, when I first moved here in 2010 – Seattle Dance was still it was already around at that point, um, although um, a lot of the writing that was happening in Seattle Dances at that time was very um, reflective and descriptive, mm-hmm. um, which, when done well, it can be totally beautiful and useful. Um, it's not a form that I excel in, um, but there wasn't a lot of sort of critical analysis going on. Sure. And then, again, with larger publications – Um, you are getting a lot of people who, uh, you know, were theater writers brought over to write about dance and don't understand or have any, the context of history, Mm -hmm. um, or expertise, uh, or, uh, people who are just not hooked into the current scene had been ballet writers, for instance. So Mm -hmm. I think I was unsatisfied with a lot of the things I was reading. Um, I specifically started at Seattle Dances because there was a review that actually did express an opinion and um I was grateful for that but I disagreed with that opinion and so I I wrote a sort of very long comment on the article Mm -hmm. and the editor at the time of Seattle Dances Marco Nagashima reached out to me and was like do you want to write for this site (laughs) (laughs) seem interested so um and that was in January of 2012 Mm -hmm. so I just started writing about once a month for them since then yeah um and then I'm I don't have any formal training as a writer other than just you know like doing college um right so it's definitely um, like been a huge process of just continuing at it and yeah and uh trying to get better over time mm-hmm. yeah. that's great I think that the um talking about keeping in mind the history of what you're watching. I read your piece recently on the Sleeping Beauty at PNB. <laughs> and um, having, I, I mean, it's beautiful, but it does speak to like a very specific time mm-hmm. and like has so much history. Like it says so much about where ballet came from. Like it is a huge spectacle mm-hmm. and um, that ballet is a perfect like example of a giant spectacle. Yeah, I it it was a, it was it's like a yeah. big fashion show. Right. Um <laughs> and and it's funny because I I wanted to think about 
if I'm, yeah, if I'm not having to write for the times and not having to write sort of this like glowing fluff piece, of course, the problem is, is if you write things that are uh, critical, people don't share your articles. Um, right. <laughs> and, and I did enjoy myself and there were some lovely performances, but thinking yeah. about like, how was that dance performance functioning in the time that it was made and how is it functioning now? Right. Um, and... I'm all for historical preservation, and I think that's kind of what's happening there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but just saying, like, okay, but if we look from it at from, from blah, blah, if we look at it from a a place where we know all of the strategies of choreography that we know now, mm-hmm. like, what is really excelling? Succe- mm, man, <laughs> talking is is talking rough. is hard. Uh, if we, I'm going to start again. Okay. If we are looking at this historic piece of choreography, knowing mm-hmm. what we know now with strategies of choreography, um, what is really succeeding? Mm-hmm. What is really holding up over time in this classic? And for yeah. me, it was um, all of the sort of spatial patterns of the core and these like intricate weaving um I could have just watched that on repeat for a really long time. Yeah, just a lot of bodies moving at once. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I agree about core work in those ballets. They really, like, do most of the interesting work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so you spoke about how you initially connected with Seattle Dances. How did that bring you into City Arts, or how did that expand into working for City Arts? Um, let's see. In 2016, I believe, um, yes, in the, in 2016, uh, City Arts put out a call for a dance and theater critic. Um, and I was like, I'd be crazy if I didn't apply for this Mm -hmm. and I'd be very surprised if I got it. Um, and uh, I polished up some pieces that I had written and submitted them, and they brought me in for an interview. And uh, thankfully, they were like, we'd like you to write about dance. We don't need you to write about theater. And I was mm-hmm. like, that's great. great. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> um, because even though I'm very interested in writing about theater, mm-hmm. uh, it would definitely be an outsider's perspective. Yeah. I don't have that kind of historical um, and sometimes that's useful. Sometimes to like come in and be like, what does this person think who doesn't have all right. of the sort of appreciation of right. um, and, uh, education? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty simple. They, uh, they, yeah. just, they just op- had an opening and I applied. Did they, did they have, they had dance critics in the past or, right? Didn't yes. They? Okay. Yes. And I was not the only dance critic there. Sure. Um, so Melody Dance Hansen works there mm-hmm. uh, Rachel Gallagher I believe I'm saying her name right um yeah so there were Great. other and, and other people sometimes would come over from other genres um to yeah. write about it yeah um so Seattle dances folded in November what well, city you, arts folded city arts folded sorry <laughs> sorry so Seattle dances is very much alive um but it's kind of, I mean, that whole publication was, everything was about arts in the city, and it it's sad to me to see it go. Where do you think, like, do you see a niche that, like, Seattle Dances could fill, or do you see a niche that, like, potentially other publications in the city could step up to fill? Um, yeah, I 
think it places more importance on Seattle dances continuing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's given me a lot to think about, about what makes a organization sustainable. Um, I don't think it's going to replace city arts in the mm-hmm. way that city arts was, I think, a beautiful publication about arts and really in-depth about arts, but it, it was mainstream. Mm-hmm. And Seattle Dances is going to be more niche. That's right. it. Um, right. But it does make me very sad because I think there's a lot of wealth in the city and the fact, and there's a lot of fantastic art going on in the city and the mm-hmm. fact that arts journalism can't be sustained um, even a publication that was really fantastic um, and also uh, arts coverage has been cut at all major publications in Seattle. Right. Um, yes. Uh, I think to have a thriving dance scene, um, Journalism is a really important part of that mm-hmm. um, ecology. Totally. Um, especially for something that's so ephemeral, to have a record of it happening mm-hmm. um, is really important. And I think people writing about the scene who know about the scene is really important. I mean, if we think about... Um, like science, like peer-reviewed journals. Imagine what would science be if we didn't have peer-reviewed journals. Right. And I think people come back to me a lot and are like, how can you review dances? You're a dancer in the dance scene. And for me, I feel like that makes me uniquely qualified. Totally. Um, And yes, I can't be objective, but no one is objective. Everyone is subjective. Right. Um, And... Uh, I think peer review is really important. I think having um, some kind of voice holding um, holding choreographers accountable is important. Mm-hmm. Um, I think being able to spread what you're doing and holding space for dialogue outside of in-person contact is really important in sort of a global world idea or at least mm-hmm. you know um outside of uh spreading the work that's happening in seattle to outside of seattle right um yeah well, I, mean, I was i lost my train of thought <laughs> um i was talking about peer review yeah and accountability i just mm-hmm. think that if you don't have journalism the people who end up succeeding and getting opportunities are going to be the people who are best at marketing themselves Sure. And maybe that happens anyways. Yeah. And it's not to say that, like, I'm the end-all, be-all opinion on a dance because I'm absolutely not. And there are dances that I, like, love or hate and someone else had a totally different experience and their experience is just as valid. Mm -hmm. Um, But having a space for there to be um, a thoughtful, educated, peer-review-driven opinion published and for that to be be available to respond to for someone to think about the work that's happening enough to write about it. Mm -hmm. I think that's, I think that's really important. Yeah. It, I mean, it is valuable to have a continuing dialogue about a holistic community, about like a community as a whole, not only like the pieces that get written up in the Seattle times. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that's totally true. And you need people who are seeing a lot of work to be able – I mean, art never exists in a vacuum, right? It's right. always in relation to everything else that's going on. And right. so if you're just seeing Wim Wim and P&B, you're not – you're not – you don't know what's happening in this city. Right. Like You know what's happening at P&B and Wim Wim. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so on – I mean, all of what you're saying is very much what Seattle Dances is about, it Mm -hmm. seems, because on the website it says, we strive to increase citywide appreciation of dance and act as a resource to the dance community as a whole. So um, obviously dance writing and critique is very important to like a vibrant arts community. Also so that people outside the dance community, I mean, to make it less insular, Mm -hmm. like... Of course, you can have people after shows talking about dance forever, but it then the people who don't go to shows won't ever feel like they're allowed to go or that they're welcome in those spaces if they don't know what they're talking about or they haven't seen a show ever or they're going to a new theater for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, great. That's just my own thought. Um Well, I think, I mean, yeah, we want to support through creating the space for dialogue or creating Mm -hmm. record or just like putting out an opinion about a piece from an individual writer or or news. Um, I think there's also, Seattle Dances is not just a journalism organization. Um, We have like a a calendar that's a citywide calendar. It's the only citywide calendar for dance. So if you want to know if there's a dance show going up, you can look on that calendar. And we have a call board for like auditions and stuff. So we have mm-hmm. we have workshops um, for different. Um, we did like a how to become your own business workshop this year. We did a how to create press relations this workshop this year. So we have resources for dancers that are go beyond journalism as well. Yeah, and that's something that doesn't really exist. No other organization is really doing that. I mean, there are like artist support organizations that are doing that like artist trust has workshops sure. or Shunpike has some workshops but they're not dance community specific um and i think that's something that is important because even though the dance community in seattle is pretty small unless you're taking class on a regular basis or going to certain shows on a regular basis it's easy to feel outside of it mm. um so I think that's great. You're bringing like people in, like with those happy hours at um, at ten degrees. Oh yeah, dance chat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the dance chats. Are those on pause right now? Um, I think, to be honest, um, dancers have such limited resources, especially mm-hmm. in terms of time. Um, and I think as a community, this is something where we say like yes this is like we need this and like yes this is a great idea but when it comes to be six o'clock on a Tuesday night and Mm -hmm. people need to like get to an event that they're not required to be at Mm -hmm. um I think dances dancers have not a lot of resources um even though it's free right um and so it's been really hard to keep attendance up which makes me sad but um I also think we're just trying to put things out into the world that we think will be good or be useful. Mm-hmm. And then it's sort of like, if the community doesn't need that, we, you know, 
we'll like move on, you know, like we'll try something else. We'll put our energy somewhere else. So I think the response we've gotten theoretically is very good. Mm -hmm. And then the actual like showing up response has been just like spottier and spottier. Yeah. Um, And so now we're doing like one a year. Yeah. Um, So that's what's happening. (laughs) Yeah. It's also, I mean, it's difficult to get people to go to things in Seattle for some reason. And like even things, even shows that people pay for, they don't always go to. So then to have a free event during the week in the evening, I would imagine would be hard to get people to consistently. Yeah. I think um, there is sometimes a frustration that I have in the community where people are like, want to um talk crap about stuff instead of just showing up and making it their own yeah um and because I think that really like just and I know that resources again time resources are like really limited but like if if you're willing to show up I think you know it's the same thing with like this like velocity leadership transition Mm -hmm. where you know, they had workshops or like they had open community events where it's like, if you want to give input, you can show up and you can give input and you can influence things, but you have to show up. Right. Um, and yeah, again, it's because of the economy and people are like working three jobs and I Mm -hmm. get it. Um, but when you can, you can. Right. Yeah. We've all been lazy. I know I've right, been lazy right. sometimes. So, yeah. Yeah. And like January, February is a particularly lazy time of year. <laughs> like right after holidays, everyone's like, oh, it's dark and there's no light and I'm tired. Yeah. And I ate too much over the holidays. <laughs> um, so, how does. How does the writing about the work of other artists affect and inform your own personal work? Well, I think um, writing about other artists, I have to spend way more time thinking about their work than I ever would otherwise. Mm -hmm. And I can never just dismiss something. So I think when I'm not writing about something, sometimes I just go to a show and I'm like, I don't know, I didn't get it. Or like, "Ah, it wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. Or like, yeah, that was good. But um, when I'm writing about it, I actually have to be like, what was on stage? What did that accomplish? Mm -hmm. How did I feel about it? And then I have to be accountable for everything that I write. So I have to really think through how I got to each of those places. And I think that has given me a lot of appreciation for work that maybe is like not exactly my taste, but I Mm -hmm. think is doing valuable stuff. Um, And I think it also has taught me a lot. It's made me a better thinker about how the medium of dance communicates. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And I think I use that in, in my work. Um, I also think when I'm going in and I'm writing, it's never fun to write a negative review. I don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I have to go in sort of with a couple of assumptions. Um, one being that like being truthful, um, with love is like always a gift, no matter whether it's like positive critique or negative critique. Mm -hmm. Um, And we know that it's a gift because we know that failure is inevitable. 
And, mm-hmm. um, and I, and I experienced that a lot personally in my own work. And I know that's like failure is such like a catchword these days or something, mm-hmm. but I feel like I'm failing all the time. Yeah. And then I have to say, okay, like I failed. What did I learn from that? Like, that's the only way that I learned. So, so going in and saying like, this didn't work for these reasons, mm-hmm. I have to say like, that is something, um, there's like no shame. Like now, you know, yeah. or now, you know, at least what I think you don't have to believe it. Right. Um, but um, this is not about saying like you're a terrible person or you're not a good art maker. Right. Um, it's about like showing you how your work is coming off to another individual, Mm -hmm. um, with a whole, you know, bunch of history that you can't control for. Um, so for me, that's made me maybe be thoughtful about like how, when I'm making work and I, and I feel like um, I'm failing all the time. I'm like in solidarity with all of us who are failing all over the place and still mm-hmm. continue to put work out there, which is like really brave. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I would say in another way, when I'm working on my piece, there's a much more intuitive process. There's much more of a like embrace of sort of mystery and magic mm-hmm. that I don't really find in my, um, like, analytical writing right so um so while I think it does make me think a lot about dance and that makes me a maybe hopefully better at dance making (laughs) um there's also like things that happen in the creative process that are like not at all related right yeah (laughs) I mean that um what you're saying about what like true critique is I think is really valuable because so many people are afraid of failure or um are it's so easy to take critique personally Mm -hmm. and say well I shouldn't make work anymore then or I did this wrong and bad and I won't I'm personally a wrong and bad person because of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I really like that you're like, I have reasons. I am being accountable to what I mean when I say, when I'm, even if it's a positive thing, you have like, you have it backed up on paper. Like, this is what I mean when I say this. And you succeeded in these ways and for next time there's these things to do that's like an actual critique not just like what you're saying if you just go to a work that you're not writing about you're like cool yeah (laughs) good (laughs) um and then like doing the flip of how you think about your own process I think I mean it's you you obviously have a very well thought out process in your writing and your dance um even though you're right dance is like the woo woo creative magic time (laughs) um but then I can see how like when you see critiques of your own work you will be more receptive or be more ready for feedback and to accept and process what how other people might interpret what you are doing yeah I have gotten negative reviews and I think um, usually it's something like this where they'll say, oh, well, you know, this went on for too long and didn't do enough. And I'll be like, yeah, maybe that is 
like that kind of feels true in my heart. Mm -hmm. And then this person will say, oh, these images weren't connected at all. And I'll say, I know for a fact that these images are connected. They're very intentionally connected. Right. Um, So that critique doesn't matter to me because I know what I know about my work. Yeah. So I think you can sort of pick and choose in that way. Yeah. Um, And then sometimes I see critiques that happen um, that are based on – Oh, biographical information, for instance, about mm-hmm. uh, a person and assumptions made there. And that's where I get upset because I think that is not thoughtful critique. That's just being lazy and being like, well, I want to write about how this person is, you know, not whatever a quote unquote typical dancer body is and how that's, you yeah. know, like, yeah. and then it's just like, that's just your own garbage. So yeah. um, <laughs> I think you know, like... Um, yeah, for me, it's about like just taking in information, being like, what feels like it could be true or brought a perspective that I didn't see before? What Mm -hmm. feels like I don't need that? Or you clearly are wanting one thing and that's not what I wanted to do anyways, so it's fine. Right. And then what is just like, that's like bad writing. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And probably I've been guilty of, of that also, all of those as a writer, but yeah. Yeah. I think I would be worried as a dance crit- critic critiquing your work now. Now talking to you about it being like, oh, no, what if I just do bad writing? I mean, I also have a lot of understanding for, like, kind of phoning. Like, there yeah. have been times where, like, reviews go really great and I'm really proud of the piece that I've made. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's just like, I have a deadline. I didn't sleep last night, whatever. Like, Writers are people, too. Right. <laughs> Writers are people, too. And, like, sometimes the piece just doesn't come together or, like, right. make as much sense as you want it to. Like, everybody's got bad days. Right. Yeah. I feel that teaching. Some, some days I'm teaching. I'm like, this is awesome. I'm connecting. And other days I'm like, I am so embarrassed right now. Mm-hmm. And so when I go to other people's classes, it's like, yeah, people got good days and bad days. Right. For sure. Right. Like, <laughs> that's, that's just a fact of life. Yeah. Um, with your teaching and your classes, you I assume you have, like, regulars? You have, like, regular students who you've been teaching for years? Yeah. Does that feel – how does that feel? That It's the absolute best thing. Yeah. Um, so I've been teaching for five years at Velocity, mm-hmm. um, and I'm teaching mostly beginners, and uh, I'm so in love with it. I'm so in love with my regular students who – you, like the bravery involved in being like I'm a grown ass person and I'm gonna start beginning ballet or whatever. Like yeah, I like my hats off to them. Like mm-hmm. um, yeah, and and so just coming in and being willing to be. Most of the time, I feel like what I'm teaching is trying to teach people to be okay with not knowing what's happening 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's really how we learn is putting ourselves in situations where we're a little bit over our head and then just getting what you're getting. Yeah. Um, and that's not to say I'm not willing to like break it down, but I think so much of the way that we're taught to learn in our education system um, is about – and when adults come in, they're like, I want to know where you put each foot. And it's like that's mm-hmm. not – like ultimately you're going to have to know this as um as an idea of moving through the space and trust that your feet will take you where they need to go. Mm-hmm. Um and so teaching people to trust their bodies, teaching people to be outside of this very like linear sort of 
um, step-by-step thing. Um, and, and feeling like maybe that's, uh, working for some people because they keep coming and they keep getting better at dancing and, um, and they all have these like super cool careers and other interests that they do other than dance, Mm -hmm. um, which is sweet. And the other day, actually one of them was like, Oh, a bunch of us went after, went out for brunch after your class. And I was like, Oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. (laughs) They're like building a mini community around your class. Um, so and going to other people's dance classes too. Mm-hmm. Um, so seeing adults in the community um, take that time for themselves and to like learn and embrace dancing um, is just beyond magical. It's the most rewarding thing. Yeah. Yeah. Have you had like students who you've taught for the whole five years you've been teaching? Like people who've yes. been there with you from yeah. the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. That's so sweet. Yeah. Um, and you taught at, uh, taught and choreographed at the Velocity's Maximum Velocity. Oh, Strictly Seattle. Yeah, Strictly Seattle. Yeah. Have you done that more than one year? I just did it one year. year. Yeah, I just did it the one year. Did you have students from regular classes take that intensive? Um, most people, there was such a cool group. I had eight students and all of them were just we were so close by the end. Um, and a lot of them were like one was a, a, a novelist. She's come out with a book. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. One of them since then, um, it was published and I read it. It was great. Yeah. Um, the lost girls of camp forevermore. <laughs> um, one of them is like a harp player professionally. Oh, okay. Like, um, and one is uh, works for Montessori School locally, and she still, ever since that summer, has been taking my classes. So I see her like, oh, awesome! You know, two or three times a week. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, I see you more than my husband. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that's been, um, and and when I taught, I was still like fairly new as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've learned a lot since then, um, but they also taught me a lot. Um, yeah, which is it's just you know the typical thing where you're like I learned from my students, but you know right like who rescued who? <laughs> <laughs> totally rescued me from, from like office jobs that I can't right, stand. Right. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> um. So c- because when when we first started talking, I mean you've been in Seattle for nine years. And you mentioned briefly um, about finding, like as a dance artist, finding what's sustainable to you Mm -hmm. um, as an artist and as a dancer. And so it took you four years to come to begin teaching at Velocity. Were you teaching other places before? No. um, I worked as a a server um, Mm -hmm. and a front of house manager at Plum Bistro. So I was in the service industry. That was not sustainable for me. It, it was great for a couple of years and mm-hmm. really allowed me to get on my feet. And I think a lot of people find that. Um, but ultimately, I think it was really hard for me to be in a position where I I felt like I couldn't be honest. I felt like I was lying all the time because you have to pretend to be happy. Mm. And, um, and even though most of the customers were great, I felt really suffocated by that. Um, 
And I also got lots of free food, which was nice. But right. um, <laughs> from Plum, <laughs> from Plum, yeah, it was it's really good. Um, and then I also, you know, worked at Twelfth Avenue Arts. I was the administrative director of Black Box Operations when that building first opened. So I was oh, managing cool. those two theaters, mm-hmm. um, and that was a big lesson for me. I mean, what an incredible opportunity! It was like they were like okay, we need, you know, an administrative director who can also act as, like, a lawyer and an accountant and an organizer and, like, let's hire this dancer. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) And, like, I only worked, like, 10 or 11 months in that position, and it was just, like, everything – talking about being in over your head, right? And it's just, like, okay, I don't know how to do this. I need to know how to do this. How do I do this? And and that really pushed me to, like, learn – so much in that time um but a big lesson I took away from that is even though like I'm good at organizing it's Mm -hmm. not a thing that I enjoy Mm -hmm. um it's not a thing that gets me excited because I think that like critical analysis aspect is not there um totally and so I found it asked to do something and then you do it yeah I found it to be really Draining. I mean, even though that job was really self-directed and that was cool, mm-hmm. um, and I, and but the like constant communication through email thing, um, which is something mm-hmm. you know, I I work, I help run Seattle dances, so that's also a thing that I struggle with is just being yeah. like that kind of work, feeling like it's really distant from my body and really distant from my brain, and it's just like energy social energy that I have to put out essentially mm-hmm. um and I think I've also noticed that I've gravitated towards jobs where I don't have a boss mm-hmm. um be- I think I don't really like people telling me what to do yeah especially if I disagree with them and if I do disagree with them I can't keep my mouth shut and so <laughs> it just works better <laughs> If, if you work for yourself. Yeah, if I work for myself. Yeah. And I think the exception to that, of course, is Aliche, um, because right. she's really, like, earned my respect, and I would, like, go to the end of the earth if she told me to. Um, yeah. I mean, I might ask why, but... <laughs> but then she'll tell you. But then she'll yeah. tell me. Yeah. Um, so I, I trust her, and she's a really um, great, thoughtful leader mm-hmm. and puts forward principles of leadership that I want to be a part of. Yeah. Um, and... That was a big thing with with dance pieces as well. I was dancing the first, yeah, four or five years I lived here, I was dancing with dozens of people, like so many people, and I just kept leaving art projects and being like, why why am I so frustrated? Why am I, Mm -hmm. like, mad at the director? (laughs) Or, like, why am I not into this? And and, And it's not to say everything was a bad experience. That's not true at all. But I think there were so few opportunities where I felt like people were bringing me in. People were bringing me in because I was like a, you know, mediocre to okay dancer. Mm-hmm. They weren't bringing me in because they wanted me specifically and the thing that I have to offer. And the thing that I have to offer is me constantly investigating and constantly questioning what mm-hmm. we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to be able to find a group of people that I can do that with um, – is like beyond a dream. It's yeah. great. Yeah. It's wonderful. That's great. Yeah. I feel like that is like like the frustration with be, having a boss is such like a creative person's 
frustration because we want to be, like you're saying, we want to be used for the things that we're good at. And so that often means we like being our own bosses because we know what we're good at and we know like if we're good at something but don't like to do it, then we can like hustle and figure out things around it to Mm -hmm. avoid that work. Completely. Yeah. Completely. And I think, I mean, everyone has different things that they want out of their leadership. For me, like um, organization and reliability, that's a way Mm -hmm. to show respect. And so if I'm not being, I don't want to be in a work environment where I'm not being respected. And a lot of people, you know, are much more okay with having sort of a disorganized um, sort of environment. But Mm -hmm. yeah, not me. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. But you don't want to be the administrator of that organization. (laughs) Yeah. I, no, no worries. (laughs) Um, Okay. I have one last question for you. And it goes, it goes, it connects with, Seattle dances and being like kind of a niche publication and also you as an artist creating work, but what, um, what's the biggest barrier you see between people accessing or going to dance works in Seattle? I think we talk a lot about accessibility or that word gets thrown around a lot. Um, and I, and I always have, mixed feelings about that word. Um, and I think part of that is right. Like everyone has to learn to appreciate art, right? When they're a baby, they have to like, no one's born with a, a an appreciation. I don't think. Sure. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so when you talk about like Duchamp put a toilet in a, in a museum mm-hmm. over a hundred years ago, yeah. that is not a new concept in the realm of art history, mm-hmm. but to probably the majority of people on this planet, the idea that a toilet could be in a museum is like completely mind blowing mm-hmm. that a toilet could be a piece of art. Yeah. So there we have sort of a, um, a separation between where the edge of the field is and where most people are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there needs to be accessible shows so that people, no matter where they're at, can enjoy and get something out of art. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the same time, I feel that there often is some shaming going on around esoteric art. Um, And I just can't get down with that because I think... If we're, again, to make a comparison to like a math or science field, like Mm -hmm. high level math is not accessible to the vast majority of people, but the effect of high level math in our society and in our world, how that's affected technology, medicine, um, just thought that is something that, that does reflect onto everyone and Mm -hmm. onto our culture. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and so people taking risks at the edge of the field and making experimental work, um, I think is, is probably where I'm most interested. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really, really important because I think artists creating sort of inaccessible work, maybe that's not for the hugest audience. Um, they are, uh, 
like philosophers. They're investigating and questioning in these realms of social construction. Um, mm-hmm. They are undoing. They are not accepting. They are um, coming back to that idea of the critical mind. They are like yeah. getting in there and critiquing. And that is something that I think we need. And I think a big barrier. So what I would say, like, there's lots of barriers to people not getting to dance. But right. I think the biggest one is education. And not mm-hmm. just that there's a lack of arts education, which there is. Um, but I think also our education system is not designed to give us tools. It's not giving us tools to be um, okay with or okay. Our education system is not giving people tools to handle ambiguity, to mm-hmm. handle complication, to handle intuitive, um, because people questioning things doesn't, I mean, I'm going to get like a little soapbox here, but mm-hmm. it doesn't serve capitalism and it doesn't sure. serve people who can make money off of people and sure. who want to take control. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so there are a lot of forces right now that, you know, are, and always who are not wanting to teach people how to be investigators mm-hmm. and how to be critical thinkers mm-hmm. um, because they ultimately don't profit or they don't keep control from that happening. Um, and so I do really believe what's happening in kind of these esoteric, less accessible fields of art mm-hmm. is really important. Mm-hmm. And also I want people everywhere to enjoy art. So a lot of times that's something where I'm like, I've seen this a thousand times before. I can remember there's usually one person in the audience who has never seen this and it's blowing their minds. And like, that is so important. Right. Or thinking about like, we have these like delightful pockets of, of art happening, um, in cities and, um, and there's so much of this country where that's just not a thing that's available. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so feeling really, really lucky to be able to experience, yeah. um, experience things on the edge. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I see what you're saying that it, it is a spectrum that all that esoteric art or art that is made for like a purely personal investigative purpose mm-hmm. is, incredibly valuable and that's what is furthering dance and um and then also things like Sleeping Beauty that are like everyone's like oh I know the music I've seen the Disney movie I want to go see (laughs) a ballet spectacle and like get dressed up and that's how I like to access art Mm -hmm. that there we should make that sorry that it is a spectrum and not ev- not necessarily everyone has to be able to access everything but wouldn't it be nice if everyone like wanted to be investigative in art like we do yeah i think you bring up a really good point because i think there just isn't like when i talk to civilians um non-dancers mm-hmm. and i'm like i'm a i'm a dance artist i think they just have no concept of what that is or even like right. what's available right um even people who are like you know, very privileged and very highly educated and like could access those things. And I think it is a little bit about outreach, um, and, and being like, Oh, you want to see some art? Um, and you work in, you know, advertising or tech or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, 
there are other options besides like the opera, the symphony and the ballet. And Mm -hmm. not to say those things aren't great and amazing. Right. But I think those are the, you know, people who are often telling me like, oh, I went to see this Broadway musical. And I'm like, that's fantastic and has almost nothing to do with my my life, with what I do. Right. (laughs) Um, And so, uh, yeah, I think part of having that dance calendar up, Mm -hmm. I mean, and I would love to expand our reach so that people who are not in the dance scene can take a chance on seeing stuff that is created here, is responding to now, is right. asking interesting questions, is maybe going to throw them like into a really uncomfortable place. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, like that's how we learn, right? So yeah, um, yeah, I would, I would love uh, for more normies to go see weird art. I think we just need more weirdness. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, and hopefully for them to have an openness enough, an openness of mind enough to say like, even if I didn't get that or I didn't like it, I Mm -hmm. can hold it. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that I like to do as like, as someone who I feel like I'm pretty attuned to like what shows are ha- what dance specific shows are happening every mm-hmm. weekend and I like to be able to bring friends and be like this is going to be weird but I think we're going to have a good time still and then they do. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Just give them one caveat that it's going to be weird. You might feel uncomfortable. And most of the time if people are expecting to feel uncomfortable, then they're more comfortable because they already have that expectation. Yeah, just being like you can do this. Yeah. I think that's like you one thing it. I love about durational work that I, I, that Aliche specializes in mm-hmm. is it's people like oh my gosh it's a five hour dance performance how do you do it and it's like okay you've easily sat in front of the TV and binged five hours of a show you don't even like that much right it's like literally so little time in your life right but it is enough time for you to totally like transform how your brain is thinking about time mm-hmm. and space mm-hmm. um and like the idea of you know not holding anything hostage but if if people mm-hmm. stick with it you like something will happen right um and like that's where like the magic is i think yeah totally is that i mean those durational works what Alice does so well with them is it, she makes it clear it's come and go you don't have to stay here for five hours but i in going to them, it feels like people who come stay until the end. A lot of times but, they do. Yeah. And I think it's it's it also is that expectation thing like you're talking about. If you're like, okay, I'm going to be in this thing for five hours. You're like, mm-hmm. you're prepared. Right. Yeah. And then your brain can take a break from being like a million miles a minute checking your email and instant gratification. Right. And uh, uh, yeah, I think that's really healthy for us. Yeah changing the way your brain works and your expectations for time and space. (laughs) Well, great. Um, Do you have any closing thoughts, anything you think is important that came up that we didn't quite come back to or finish up? Oh, there are probably a million things. (laughs) The answer can be no. (laughs) Um, I guess the other thing, I guess philosophy that I'm, just thinking about a lot is being in the beginner's mindset Mm. and always approaching my work that way 
um, I found has been really helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, feeling like, oh, what can I learn from this? Uh, and I guess maybe I learned that from my students too. My, my brave students who come in are like, yeah. I'm going to start this thing I know nothing about as an adult. Mm-hmm. And so um, even as I get better at something, knowing that there's like still so much farther, so much more I could go keeps right. me curious. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, maybe I'm avoiding little mistakes that I made a number of years ago and mm-hmm. now I can make bigger mistakes and learn bigger lessons. So, um, I, I think that that can be really helpful to keep from being in a dark place or feeling frustrated mm-hmm. is just to know that there's like always more to get out of it. Yes. I love that. We're not like Sims where you get to level 10 in your career and then you don't go any further. Like there's always so much more to incorporate or more to think about or yeah. Yeah. Level up. <laughs> well, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Really enjoyed talking to you today. Sharpest Knives podcast is created, edited, and produced by me, Maris Antolin, and partially supported by the Seattle Office of Arts and Culture. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash sharpest knives podcast, or find us on Instagram at sharpest knives podcast. And you can follow along and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash sharpest knives podcast. I'd love to hear your thoughts and comments and your questions and suggestions for future guests. Email us at sharpestknivespodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.